Well, if you've got your Bibles, and I know many of you have got your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to go ahead, get out your Bibles, uh, pull out your cellular mobile device, uh, your tablet. Uh, we're in Second Timothy. A couple weeks ago, we started a brand new series called Leaving a Legacy. And uh, for the fall weeks, for about nine weeks, we are going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Second Timothy. And Second Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his protege, a young guy by the name of Timothy. Now, when I say young, it's all relative, right? So Timothy was about 40, which in my book means he was really young. He was a young guy. But yet, uh, Timothy was a pastor at a church in Ephesus, and uh, Ephesus, the church there, was an absolute mess. And uh, so most of the time, Timothy was pulling out his hair, he was frustrated, he was struggling, he felt like he was in over the, his head. And one of the burning questions that Timothy wrestled with over and over and over is, what is my role? What is my role as a Jesus follower versus what is God's role? What is my role and what is God's role? And so this is really kind of what um, the Apostle Paul is going to kind of unpack for Timothy to kind of clarify and help him to understand. And the idea behind leaving a legacy is uh, what we're really trying to get at is how do we live our lives today? How do we live our lives today so that tomorrow, next year, 10 years, maybe 100 years, I'll even throw out there a 1,000 years from now, how can what you do today continue to impact and influence future generations? That's what this sermon series is all about. How can you outlive yourself? How can you live beyond yourself so that future generations might know Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about as we uh, look at the book of Second Timothy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for an amazingly beautiful day today. God, we thank you that as fall is in the air, uh, God, that you come to meet us, you renew us, you strengthen us, and God, your Holy Spirit, the, your very breath continues to breathe into our lives and into our community to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to challenge us. And so, God, dwell among us richly as we read your word and reflect on what you might have to say to us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, some of you are aware uh, that this spring, uh, our younger son, Q, graduated from college uh, out near Boston, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And if you've ever been out to uh, the Northeast, uh, to the Boston area, if you travel just outside of Boston, uh, you go out to a, a little place called Nantucket Island. And if you've been on Nantucket Island, there is a little museum there uh, dedicated to the heroes of men and women of days gone by. Uh, several hundred years ago, this part of the uh, United States, it was very treacherous. Many people lost their lives out on shipwrecks. And literally, you could look out on the waters there, and you could watch these ships coming in. Of course, they had very limited navigation. It's very rocky, and storms arose very frequently. And so you could look out uh, at the waters, and you could see these ships as they're coming in. And as the storms would arise and the rocky shores uh, kind of collided, if you will, these ships would sink and people would die. 
And people who lived in that area, Nantucket Island, they said, we need to do something about this. And so what they did is they built these little huts, these little uh, houses, I guess, if you will. They called them huts of refugee, re- refuge. And what they would do is they would put food in these huts. They would put little boats in these huts. And they had the very primitive ways of kind of looking out on the water and just watching. And they were all volunteers, these huts of refuge. And so people would just man them. They would staff them. They would just, they were volunteers. They didn't do this because they were looking for recognition. They did this because they cared about human life. And day and night, people would man these little huts and they would look out onto the Atlantic Ocean, watching and waiting for as these ships came in, as storms arose. And when a ship would go down, they would race out there and they would rescue whoever was going down. In fact, they created a motto to to inspire uh, one another and to remind them why they existed. And the motto was simply this, you have to go out but you don't have to come back. That was their motto of the life-saving society. Now, you might think, well, that is a very motivational uh, society. I don't know if I want to sign up for that. But in fact, what happened is so many people were inspired by that motto, this idea of rescuing other people's lives and this value of other people's lives that actually, in fact, it was very motivating. It was very inspiring. And lots and lots of folks volunteered to go out and rescue people who were going down as the storms came up and boats were crashing against the rocky shore. Well, as you might imagine, over time, uh, as the United States Coast Guard arose, uh, many of the folks who were uh, manning these huts of refuge said to one another, hey, we've now got professionals in charge. We now have people who are trained to go out and rescue people who are drowning. We now have people who are paid to do this. We don't need to do this anymore. And so they decided, let's no longer, uh, let's just disband. Let's no longer be in the life-saving business. And so uh, they just decided uh, to put the kibosh on all the work that they were doing. But the interesting thing is, these people enjoyed, they loved being together. In fact, they loved serving together so much, they decided that they weren't going to disband. Instead of disbanding, they were going to keep meeting together for uh, potlucks and socials and gatherings. They were going to get together for different service awards and, and community service and do all sorts of different things. And they were going to keep calling themselves the life-saving society. However, they were no longer going to be in the business of saving human life. Brothers and sisters of Faith Lutheran Church... I'm here to tell you, this happens every single day in our country and around the world. Once upon a time, an organization comes together, comes together, gathers together for the purpose of saving lives. But somewhere along the way, they lose their motivation, they lose their focus, and they start doing other things. Now, it's not that they don't want to be in the life-saving business. It's just that there's so many busy, so many other activities to do. And so they just decide to keep meeting together, but to no longer be in the life-saving business anymore. And you can about imagine where I'm going with this, this metaphor. 
This is really the story of the church. That we're in the life-saving business. But there are so many congregations around the United States, even around the world, that began as an organization that valued human life so much that they were willing to risk it all for other people that they had never met, and they just decided at some point in time, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. But we're going to keep meeting together because we like being together. We like studying together. We like being in fellowship together. We're just no longer in the life-saving business. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be in the life-saving business. If you were to go to Nantucket Island today, while there is no longer a a, a life-saving group out there, there is a yacht club. And a yacht club is very different than a life-saving society. A yacht club is all about leisure, It's all about gathering together, about doing fun things together. And I'm not against a yacht club. In fact, if you've got a yacht, I'd be willing to go out on your yacht and check it out and hang out and do some uh, yachting around with you. Nothing wrong with a yacht club. But if you've ever been to a yacht club before, if you don't like the food, you complain. If you don't like the dress code, you complain. If you don't like how other people are behaving, you complain. In a yacht club, whatever you don't like, you go ahead and complain to whoever is in charge because that's what a yacht club is all about. It's all about the members of the yacht club. Not a life-saving society. If you're in the life-saving society, you don't care how people dress You don't care about how people uh, show up and and what they look like. You don't care about all those things because you are so laser focused on human life and rescuing people who are lost. Two very different clubs. And I just want to lay that kind of image out there for you this morning and juxtapose those because I think the church today is is at an existential uh, phase in our lives. Who are we going to be about? And many, many years ago, when Jesus Christ encountered the Apostle Paul, Paul's life was so radically transformed that he became absolutely convinced that to be a Jesus follower, that the purpose of the Christian church is about saving lives so that people could experience abundant and eternal life with Jesus Christ. And so he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to a young guy by the name of Timothy. And he wanted to encourage him and guide him in his life. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. And like I say, we're just going line by line, verse by verse. Paul writes this to Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul is saying to to young Timothy is, Timothy, as a leader in the church, as a Jesus follower, I want you to be strong because I know it's hard. The church is filled with broken people. The church is filled with messy people. The church is filled with all sorts of difficult situations. So be strong. And the church in Ephesus was an especially a big mess. 
And so Timothy is struggling, and so Paul wants to encourage him, be strong. It's really important, Timothy, because how you live your life, you don't know how the future generations, what hangs in the balance. And so Paul is trying to pass the, the, the baton of faith to young Timothy, and he encourages him to be strong. Now, when we hear these words, be strong, we hear this out in society and out in the world. And this idea of we're supposed to be strong. And oftentimes we think, well, I'm going to do it on my own accord. I'm going to do it with my own strength. I'm going to dig deep within myself. But what Paul is writing about here is strength that does not come from ourselves. But it's strength that comes from Jesus Christ. Actually, a better translation, I've got the NIV, a better translation of this because this is written in the passive, is be strengthened. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Of course, the difference is be strengthened is that we just receive that strength from Christ as we go through our lives. Two very different ways of being strong. One is being strong in ourselves. That's the way of the world. Paul tells Timothy, be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ. Receive your strength from Christ. You are strong when you are connected to Christ. Verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses... Uh, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what Paul is talking about here is, Timothy, what I am doing to you is I am mentoring you. I am uh, watching over you and guiding you. I, as an apostle, receive my strength, my call from God. And what I'm doing is I'm pouring my life into you so that you can pour your life into your congregation so that the people in your congregation can pour their lives into other people. So what Paul is doing in this one verse is he is outlining four different generations of growing disciples. Paul to Timothy, to the congregation, to other people. And what Paul is describing is this idea is that when we receive the grace and love of Jesus Christ, it's not just meant for us. It's meant for us to receive and then give away and to pour into others. You know, some of you, if you've been coming to faith uh, for some time now, uh, when we're indoors, we've got this nice uh, tablecloth here uh, with our mission statement on it, growing disciples who grow disciples. And maybe you've thought to yourself, that's kind of strange. I wonder what that means. And so I want to explain this to you this morning and what this, what's behind this mission statement of growing disciples who grow disciples. The first part, growing disciples, that's you. This is what's really important for us as a congregation, that you and me, that we are growing disciples. How do we become growing disciples? We gather together for worship. We read our Bibles daily. We pray. We pray together in small groups. We give and serve in the community. That's us. That's what we do is we are growing disciples. We walk with Jesus day in and day out. But that's only half of our mission statement. The other half of our mission statement is it who grow disciples. That's the people who aren't here yet. 
That's the people in your life that you are interacting with, that you are connecting with. Now, this could be your kids. This could be your grandchildren. This could be your coworkers. But this could be anyone. Again, think this idea of the life-saving society. People who are going down. People who are drowning. People who are dying. People who are far from God. Growing disciples who grow disciples. And this is really key. Because for a long time in the life of the church, not just our church, the church around the world, it was all about growing disciples. The, the end goal was to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. So if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I show up to worship, I read the Bible, I pray with, uh, by myself, I pray with others, I serve in the community. We're like, I did it. I'm a Jesus follower. Awesome. I think we've missed the boat in terms of what it really means to be the church. We're not finished because the other part is who grow disciples. And that's what I think Paul is talking about here. And he just explicitly lays it out to four generations Disciples, growing disciples who grow disciples. Verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Paul's going to kind of unpack a little bit what it means to be a disciple, a Jesus follower. No one serving uh, uh, as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So Paul uses these three different metaphors. He talks about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. He says this is what a disciple is like. A disciple is like a soldier, someone who is serving in the armed forces, in the military. A disciple is someone like an athlete, a highly skilled, highly trained athlete. A disciple is like a hardworking farmer. And so as you think about Christians today, and if you were someone were to say, hey, describe a Christian, is that how you would describe what it means to be a Jesus follower? like a soldier, an athlete, a highly trained athlete, or a farmer, a hardworking farmer. So I think oftentimes today when we think about, we hear the word Christian, immediately what comes to our mind, and I will tell you what comes to mind in people's minds out in the community who are not part uh, of the church, who are not Jesus followers, they are thinking of Ned Flanders, that guy on the Simpsons, that annoying guy, who shows up, who has an opinion about everything. He's cheesy. He's goofy. He's weak. He's kind of milk toast. He's very politically correct. But then he says the most awkward things. I think that's what most people think of when they think of Christian. But the Apostle Paul says that's not what a Christian is. That is not who a Jesus follower is. They are like a highly trained soldier. Special forces. Green Beret, Special Ops, highly disciplined, an athlete, 
trains their body, strengthens their body. Day in and day out, they train. And a hardworking farmer, someone who is working so hard day in and day out. So I think Paul uses these different metaphors to kind of help us really get our, our minds around what it means to be a Jesus follower. And so I want to just suggest four, four areas this morning uh, about how I think uh, why Paul uses these four different metaphors. Number one uh, is because these four different uh, folks, uh, the soldier, the farmer, the athlete, they're strong. They're strong and they're disciplined day in and day out. They're paying attention to what it means to take care of what God has called them to be. And if you know a soldier, someone who is trained in the military, you know that they're strong mentally and physically. That's what they do. And if you think about an athlete, someone who's just at the top of their game, they are strong and they are disciplined. And if you think about a farmer, farmers are working all the time. Because they're strong, they're disciplined, and they're paying attention. Number two, there's this partnership for all three of these. There's a partnership, uh, as I think about, first of all, with the, the soldier. A soldier can't win an army, a, a battle on their own. They, they need a bunch of other soldiers to gather together. No soldier can do it on their own. And so as a Jesus follower, we have to be reminded, we cannot follow Jesus on our own. We need one another. This is why God has given us the church, to help, in one, to help one another, to strengthen one another, to gather together. Even an athlete needs other people to help make them a stronger and better athlete. There's this partnership. Even the gifts that God has given them, they have to decide how are they going to leverage and manage the gifts that God has given them so that they can compete. And then the farmer, there's this partnership. If you've ever talked to a farmer, or maybe you grew up on a farm, you understand this partnership between God and what what the human role is in farming. Can you imagine a farmer going out one day and saying, I'm just going to pray for corn today. I'm going to pray for a harvest. And the farmer prays and prays and prays. Oh God, give me a harvest of corn. And God looks at the person and says, you got to plant it. You got to do something. See, the farmer has to do their part. They have to do their role. And once they've planted the corn, once they've planted the crop, then they just kind of, they, they sit back and they watch and they wait and they take care of the ground. But the corn only grows because God allows it to grow. And there's this beautiful partnership for those who are uh, out in the fields farming. And they understand this partnership. So uh, they're, they're strong. There's a partnership. Number three, there's this idea of perseverance. There's this idea that uh, it, it takes time. See, we live in a Twitter world, don't we? We live in a, in a soundbite world where we want instant results. And this idea for a soldier, for a farmer and an athlete, they don't just get their results lickety-split, right? It takes time. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty impatient. And I need to be reminded that as a Jesus follower, sometimes I just need to hang on. Sometimes I just need to wait. 
Sometimes I just need to hang in there, hang on, be faithful for what God has invited me to do and just allow the process to go and to be reminded that God is not finished with me and he's not finished with you and what's going on in your situation and your world. You need perseverance. And the fourth one is pain. Pain is part of the process. Every soldier, every athlete, every farmer will tell you that in their particular world, pain and suffering are involved. And we've actually talked about pain and suffering the last couple weeks here on Sunday morning. Uh, Throughout 2 Timothy, 14 different times. It's just a two-page letter. Paul talks about this idea of pain and suffering. And over and over and over, he is reminding young Timothy, Hey, Timothy, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Hang in there. Hang on. Keep going. It hurts. It's painful. Never once in 2 Timothy does Paul look at Timothy and say, It's going to be all right. It's going to stop hurting in a little bit. There's never that promise. And to be a Jesus follower... We need to be reminded and encouraged over and over that pain is part of the process. Suffering is part of what it means to be a human being on this earth. And as long as we've got breath and life, we will experience pain and suffering. It is the default of the human condition. Leisure, relaxation, hanging out, the good life. That is not the human condition. Those things come, and they're fleeting. But as we go through life, over and over and over, we experience pain and suffering. Verse 7, Paul continues, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. So what Paul is saying is, hey, Timothy, You have a role to play, just like the farmer plants the the crops, just like the athlete does the training, just like uh, the soldier does all their training. So you've got a role to play, but don't forget Jesus. Jesus has a role to play. There's this uh, intricate relationship between what we do in this world and how God is working and moving. And so Paul reminds him how important this partnership is. This is my gospel for which I am suffering. There it is again. Remember, Paul's in jail. This is the last letter that Paul would ever write. Soon he would be executed. So this is it. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So what Paul is saying here is that he's chained up, he's tied up. And if you ever go through life and you feel chained up, if you feel tied up, you need to be reminded that the gospel does not depend on you. God is still going to do what God is going to do. Now, he wants to work with you. He wants to partner with you. He wants to use your life to grow other disciples. But if you say no, if you say I'm busy, if you say I don't want to, God is still going to do what God is going to do. And so there's this incredible partnership, this this invitation for us to not only follow, but we need to be reminded that our lives are pretty insignificant. You ever taken like a, a glass of water and just put your finger in it? Pull your finger out and then look in that glass of water and look for the dent. 
That's how much of an Im- impact you make in this world. Squat. God's going to do what God's going to do. You can't make a difference in the world apart from God. So don't feel too good about yourself, all right? This is a partnership between God and you. And if you say no, God's going to say, I'm going to do it anyway. The gospel, God's word, cannot be chained. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul says, you know what? I'm going to endure. I'm going to do this. I'm signed up to be a Jesus follower. I'm going to keep going for the sake of those who are drowning, those who are struggling, those who are far from God. There's this incredible uh, partnership. Verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So Paul continues to kind of weave and bob and explain this relationship between our role and God's role. And he says, you know what? Even if you are faithless, God is still faithful. God's going to still do what God is going to do. He says, but I'm going to endure. This is what the John Calvin, the reformer, he talked about this. He calls this the perseverance of the saints. And Calvin wrote, endurance is not a prerequisite for salvation. It is evidence for salvation. Let me say that again. I think that's really good. Endurance is not a prerequisite for salvation. It is evidence for salvation. What does this mean? I think about your good works and I think about my good works. It really all boils down to our motivation. And why do we do what we do? See, of course, we as Jesus followers, as Lutherans, we know that we are not saved by works. We're saved by grace, right? We know that. That's our mantra, right? We are saved by grace. So what is the role of good works? They are the evidence. It's not how we are saved, but it, it, it shows, it's the evidence that we have, our lives have been changed by Jesus. I was trying to think of an illustration this week uh, of, of what this kind of looks like. Uh, about 30 years ago, uh, before I became a pastor, uh, I, I went into social work for a little while. That's a whole nother sermon. It didn't work out. My dad was a social worker. I thought I was supposed to be a social worker. I was a lousy social worker, so I got out of that really fast. Sometimes process of elimination, you know, kind of helps you get on your right vocational path. Anyway, so I'm working in Washington, D.C. with homeless people, and I was a part of this ministry organization that helped people who wanted to help themselves uh, get out of homelessness and improve their lives. And so I would say it's maybe uh, like what George Bush called a compassionate conservatism. It's this idea of we're all about Jesus, we're all about helping people, but there's a partnership that people also need to be about helping themselves. And I loved it. It, w- it was fun. It was interesting. And I love trying to uh, help people help themselves, frankly. 
And we had a guy uh, in our organization. Uh, he was uh, part of the administrative team. And one day, David and I went for lunch. And as we were coming back from lunch uh, at the grocery store, we walked by this panhandler. And this guy said, hey, guy, uh, hey, buddy, can you, you know, spare some change? We've all experienced this, right? So in that moment, uh, David gets out his wallet and uh, hand, you know, pulls out some money. I only got a dollar. Two dollars because I got kids. Um, and uh, so he gives the guy some money and the guy says, hey, thanks. And I looked at David as we're walking back to lunch from lunch. And I said, what are you doing? You work at an organization that is all about people helping themselves. And you just gave this guy a freebie. You just gave him a couple bucks. And David looked at me and said, I don't know. I think he needed a couple bucks. And I remember that 30 years later, David had so been um, run over by the grace train, if you will. He just was willing to give away a couple bucks unconditionally to help this guy. And I still wrestle with that today. I struggle with that today. I don't give uh, panhandlers uh, money. I just, I, I've been around uh, this world a, a little bit too much, or at least in my younger years. And I know what they do with the money. They go, buy, go and buy things that they shouldn't be buying. And so for me personally, I just don't do that. And I know on, on the occasions where I've done it, I felt good about myself. Hey, I helped someone out. And that's the wrong motivation. Because in that moment, I've made it all about me. I haven't made it about helping them. A couple of years ago, uh, I was part of an organ an another church. And uh, we had some a group come in from Habitat for Humanity. And they said, hey, you really need to get involved with Habitat for Humanity. And they explained all the reasons why we needed to get involved with Habitat for Humanity. And the most important reason, he said, why you need to get involved with Habitat for Humanity is you're going to feel really good about yourself. And he made it all about serving so that we feel good about ourselves. And so I want to ask you, as you're wrestling, we all pull up to the corner, right? And we see panhandlers. We see different people asking us for different things. We're invited to help those out in the community, out in the world. Why do you do it? What's your motivation? If your motivation is like my friend David, because they need it, because you just you feel so grateful for what God has done in your life and you just want to generously and genuinely help them out, then do it. But if you are giving and serving and helping other people so that you feel good about yourself, you're feeling generous, you're feeling like you made a difference in the world, you've just made it all about yourself. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Is Timothy, there's this partnership between God and you. Don't make it about you. Make it about truly serving others so that they can experience Jesus Christ. So I want to kind of pull this all together back to our legacy. As I think about the day when Jesus 
showed up at Paul's door on the road to Damascus. They had this conversation. The Apostle Paul's life was changed. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul said, I'm a Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. This is awesome. And so Paul started reading the Bible. Paul started praying regularly. Paul started going to church. Paul started serving in the community. Paul joined a small group. Paul gave away uh, all sorts of money to different organizations. But what if Paul did all those things but never made another disciple? What if Paul had never poured into Timothy? What if none of the early disciples of the church ever poured into anyone else and made another disciple? The church never would have made it out of the first century, folks. Here's the reality. We are gathered here today because generation after generation after generation of disciples, of people who follow Jesus said, I so believe in human life. I so believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that I am going to make another disciple. I am going to grow. I am going to invest. I am going to pour into other people. And I think this is what Paul is saying is we ought to be grateful for what God has done in our lives, but it's never about you. It's never about me. It's frankly about the people who are not here. The people who are in this community who are not walking with Jesus, who do not have a church home, who are far from God. They are sinking. They are drowning. And if we truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are eternal consequences. And so we need to be about growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. But we need to also be about growing other disciples in the world and in the community. And if you're sitting here today thinking, I had never thought of that before. I thought it was all about me and Jesus. I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure either. And I think that's why it needs for us to come together as a congregation to continue this conversation and ask one another to walk with one another. Because this is brand new territory for the church, uh, I think, in North America today. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for those previous generations that were committed to making more disciples so that you and I could be here. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to pour into the next generation, those people who are far from God. And we do that with our own work, our own effort, but in partnership with God and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this remarkable relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy the ways, God, in which Timothy so faithfully poured into his congregation and the way the people in his congregation were equipped and empowered to pour into the next generation. And God, this has gone on for generation after generation. Here we are 2,000 years later, the recipients of the faithful who have gone before us. And God, you are calling us to be faithful also to not just be faithful disciples of you, but to grow other people, to be disciple makers in this world. So God, this is, this is hard. 
This is new. This is challenging. But God, you've done it before. We believe you can do it again. So give us open hearts, open minds, and open lives, God, for how we too might grow and pour in to other people who are far from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.